we are very honored to have Chelsea Ferguson come and share with us. Chelsea has been studying the Bible for the last year in a very intense way, and so she's going to be sharing a little bit from that experience with us today. So Chelsea, come on up. Let me pray for you, and then we'll invite you to come and share with us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Chelsea. And Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit right now would open her mouth, loosen her tongue, allow your words to speak through. Anything that is simply from her would go right over our heads, but that your word and your truth would remain, would stand firm in our hearts, and would be planted and would yield a crop. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing and all that you've done in her life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okie dokie. Oh, is this thing on? All right, so... Today we'll be learning together from the book of Colossians as you guys continue studying this really amazing book. I remember studying this in my school and I was just really just amazed at like who Christ is, you know? It really, it was one of those books that really made it click for me. But before we start, I just want to read the whole section. We're going to be going through Colossians 4, 2 to 6. So can I get one brave, bold soul to read aloud um, that section for me? Maybe? Oh, wonderful! Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open the door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Awesome. Thank you. So I know that Brian has started um, or shared a lot of the historical background about the book of Colossians. But for those of you who weren't here or I just want a little reminder or, you know, um, I'm just going to go through a little bit of the background of Colossians and Paul and their relationship. So Colossae was actually a pretty insignificant city during this time, habited by only, well, mostly Greek citizens who worshipped Roman gods. There were many Jews and Romans too, of course. But surrounding Colossae were many pagan cities influencing this messy mixture of Roman gods, Greek philosophy, and Jewish traditions. In 2.8, Paul actually warns the Colossians to not be taken captive by philosophy, which indicates that these false teachings have made its way into the church. This philosophy was mainly asceticism, which essentially means all matter, the body is evil, and everything spiritual is good. So they would either think that they can do whatever they want with the body, or they would deprive the body of everything good. This philosophy, along with many other things, was socially pressuring the Colossians, and making them question God concerning who Christ is and how one could be saved. Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians during one of his Roman imprisonments. And most of you probably know that Paul was a radical Jew who, through encountering Jesus, became a radical Christian who actually started building up the church. Paul maybe knew a few of the Colossians personally, but for the most part, those two, they just didn't know each other very well. (laughs) They actually never met face-to-face, any of the Colossians in the church. So let's jump into the text. I want to first read, I'm reading from the ESV version, yeah, Colossians 4, 2. So continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So why would Paul be instructing the Colossians to be watchful and steadfast prayer? Like a good inductive student, we have to, we have to ask the why questions. Why is he saying this? So the Colossians were, as we were kind of talked about, they're questioning their salvation, and they may have been having doubts about Jesus and his gospel due to the heresy that had leaked into the church. 
It actually made its way into the minds of the Christians and possibly made them wonder which way was the right way to salvation. They didn't really know which way to go because their eyes were not on Jesus and his gospel. They could have been asking questions like, do I have to be circumcised to be saved from these Jewish traditions that were pressuring them? Or, or do I, should I even care what I do with my body since the spirit is good? So this is why Paul is asking them to be steadfast. These conflictions that they were having would move them from the truth that they heard in the gospel. And if you actually look at other translations of this word steadfast, you get firm, securely positioned, not moving off course. So Paul is saying, hey guys, don't be moved by these lies dressed in truth. Do not take your eyes off Jesus and what you heard from him, what you first heard in the gospel. Paul is actually asking them to be steadfast in prayer. Prayer generally is actually associated with being watchful. So that's pretty interesting. So what does this teach us? That we must always be firmly positioned with our eyes on Jesus, with our eyes on truth, so that we will not have any room to be deceived. When we begin to take our eyes off of Jesus for any reason at all, it becomes pretty dangerous territory. It leaves doors wide open for deception. And there are still many false teachings that have leaked into the church today. The New Age movement stuff, prosperity gospel, astrology, and more things that have distorted truth. To put it into perspective, I'm going to tell you a story. The other day, as I was trying to prepare for today, I was actually on my way to Goderidge, and I felt God just say, no, like, turn around. So I turned around, and God led me to this coffee shop. And it was called Artemis. And... As I'm talking to the barista, she's making my drink. She was like, she was telling me about her Greek descent. And I was like, oh, I feel like I, I recognize that name, Artemis. Like, it was just like, what is this from? And so I go and sit at the back and start having my coffee and start reading the Bible. And to my left, I see just this, there's this porch. And it was just full of these, like, statues, these idols. I could see an idol of a Greek god, um, one from Asia, and just all these different nations. And, and I was just like, oh, Artemis, that's a Greek goddess. And I was like... Oh, I asked the barista because I was really curious. As I was, because since I've been studying the Bible, we went into a lot of those, like the Greek mythology. So I recognized it, and she was very open to tell me that yes, like this is after the Greek goddess, and even the symbol beside it symbolizes Artemis as well. So as I used her bathroom, there was just a lot of dark stuff in the bathroom, and and so I sat outside, and I just, I felt on guard, I felt like watchful, and I was like, I just could see this, this evil, like, around me, this deception, and I almost wanted to leave, and I was like, this is just creepy, I'm leaving, like, but I was like, no, and I, and I started praying out loud, and I started um, reading my Bible out loud, and in that moment, I just felt God speak to me, and he's like, do you see that over there, you, you see what you can see, and how it's making you be watchful in prayer, like he's like it's not just there right now it's actually all around you all the time and so I really believe that God wanted to speak that to us today because he led me there as I was trying to prepare for today and it just really put it into perspective for me how I need to be watchful like that all the time so yeah so I think God wants to speak to us this morning and say that we often don't see or notice the evil the deception but we need to be on guard because it's all around us. And throughout the whole New Testament, there's warnings of this, actually. Instruction for us, the body of Christ, to be on guard all the time, to be steadfast, to pray, and to be thankful. We can't forget what Paul said at the end, to be thanks. To, we can't forget the thanksgiving part. <laughs> 
Paul mentions giving thanks about six times in this letter alone. It's, it's common for Paul. I picture someone who forgets the Thanksgiving being kind of paranoid of the evil around them and, and hating this world and not being thankful for what God has given them and, and seeing the beauty in God's creation. I know that we, we are so blessed to be God's children and we can't forget that. And it's such a blessing to be a light to the world through Jesus. Yeah, Thanksgiving is vital for the Christian faith. So we'll move on to Colossians 4, 3 to 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So knowing Emperor Nero, who was the emperor who was kind of in charge of the whole known world at this time, knowing him, the imprisonment was probably a lot worse than what we see in But what I find just fascinating, if we kind of try and imagine just what prison might look for anyone, and to see that Paul's, to see what Paul's first prayer request was. Like he didn't ask for a home-cooked meal, he didn't ask for keys to the jail cell. He asked um, that they would make a way to open, open doors to proclaim the gospel. Like which is the very reason why he was imprisoned in the first place. So it really just it puts me in awe of, and it makes me look at my own life, because this is something that we can learn from hugely. Like Paul's only desire that we see is to fulfill God's will to share the gospel, and this is yeah a huge lesson, and it just makes me ask myself, and I want to ask you, what is your biggest desire? What are your prayer requests? And what is the first thing on your mind when you wake up? Or what is the last thing on your mind before you fall asleep? I want you to think about it. Is it God's will? Is it rooted out of love for Jesus and your neighbors? Or is it rooted in love for yourself? Since I've been home, I guess you could say I've kind of shrunk back in my priorities quite a bit. I didn't realize how far I had kind of drifted until the other morning when I woke up and the first thing on my mind was myself. I was thinking about how I looked and how I needed to lose weight and I was just sickened by when I realized that, oh my gosh, like this is literally the thir- first thing on my mind. And so I realized that my first desire lately has to, was to look good. And like, what a waste of time. <laughs> I immediately started praying and asking God to change my heart. And other than that, I started trying to pray for other people to not make it make myself so self-centered. And when I started to pray for others, there was just a shift in my spirit. There was just a shift. And it was amazing um, what happened when I was seeking after God's will and not my own, the change within me. I was loving others rather than loving myself. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. He didn't care about his physical freedom. He only cared about seeing others be free in Christ. And that's just amazing, amazing for for me to see, um, especially because that's definitely not my first desire. And I think I much more easily turn to selfishness than I do to selflessness. And, And what's fascinating is, like, Paul was in suffering. And even more, when, when, I'm, when I'm struggling with things, I want, I want pity for myself. I do not want to love others. I don't want to do God's will. I want things to be done for me. And so it's 
amazing what changes when you're, when you're in the center of God's will. And I've seen this quote on Facebook. It could have been written by a monkey. I don't know, but it, I, thought it was, I thought it was great. <laughs> it said, uh, We live fascinating lives if we live in the center of God's will. And I can say for myself, there was a time in my life where my first desire was seeking after Jesus. And the more I sought Him, the more I found Him. And the more I found Him, the more I just wanted to love on others. And it was a short season. Um, it didn't last long. I, I kind of fell back into you know, my selfishness and those kind of habits. But I look back at that season in my life, and it makes me just, just hold on. And I, I just know how precious it is to be in the center of God's will. And so that's what I long for, and that's what I strive for, even in my failures, because I know that God has grace for me. And I know I can just say from experience what a fascinating life it is when we are in the center of God's will. It, it changes everything. And it's hard for me to love others. It doesn't come naturally for me. <laughs> but once we focus on Jesus everything just kind of falls into place. And I just, have, I just start having these ideas. If, I, if I'm focusing on Jesus, these ideas come to, to love someone. I'll make dinner for someone. I'll bring someone food or I'll give money to someone. Whatever it is, or even the slightest little card or word of affirmation, these things don't come naturally when my eyes are not on Jesus. It may come naturally for other people. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so in suffering and in joy, our first desire must be God's will. And so what is, what is God's will? And I think like we can find it in this book if we, if we read it, if we really read it and we listen to it and we take it seriously. And we take seriously the words of Jesus and what he's instructed us. So I'll move on to the next two verses. Colossians 4, 5 to 6 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul here is actually just giving practical instruction for day-to-day living as a Christian. But when I first read this, I really thought, I just felt like Paul was kind of saying, like, hey, be fake, like, you know? And I felt like he was trying to instruct them to maybe, like, have smooth talk like the philosophers that were getting all the fame because in this time, people just wanted more knowledge and wisdom and they were seeking any philosopher that sounded the most wise or had the most, like, smooth talk, attractive talk. And so here I was like, is this what Paul's asking? I was, like, kind of weirded out by it. And I think probably it's one of those verses that I would kind of skim by and I didn't really want to study. So it was fun going more into it this time around. Because I realize, actually, that's not the case here at all. It's a Pauline evangelizing strategy or rule that he learned from following Christ. He learned from Christ himself. This man had years and years and years of experience in uh, evangelizing, and he's very successful in it. And you kind of see Paul taking the focus off of our watchfulness, how we need to be watchful. It's kind of like, hey, you're actually being watched. Like, smart up. <laughs> so Paul is presenting to the Colossians this instruction on how to live in faith in Jesus 
in an unbelieving world. The Colossians had so much going on around them. They were surrounded by pagan idol worshippers, sexual immorality, Jews who didn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and much, much more. Paul knew that the only way that the lost in Colossae would see Christ is through the believers there. So they had to be prepared. They had to be clothed in grace, always ready to share their faith. So Paul isn't asking his readers to be fake at all, I see now. He is saying that they have a choice to be like Jesus toward outsiders. And it's a choice we often don't think to make daily. Something that I've learned in this last year is everything is a choice. And following Jesus is not just a one-time choice that we make when we, when we first meet him and we, and we say the sinner's prayer. It's much more complex than that. And so I love this when i kind of seen it as Paul just giving this advice, like you, like you kind of have this choice. It's not much of a like command, not that, yeah. But so we have a choice to be like Jesus. We have a choice to be wise toward outsiders because they are watching, and we are the only way that they will see Christ. There are many people, we're the only Bible that they may read. I love verse five. So it says, "Walk." in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And I love how Paul says the time. It's pretty significant. It's as if you were in a time set apart by God um, to serve him and not himself. Make the best use of the time. Do you think we live as if we're in a time set apart for God or in a time set apart for us? I find this really fascinating because I know that very often I act as if I have all the time in the world to do God's will. And I know that that's the same for many others within the body of Christ worldwide. We act as if we have so much time to do what God has asked us to do. And we really, we really don't. So what are you doing with the time? Are you living seeking the will of your Messiah or are you seeking the will of yourself? I know that this is something that I struggle with a lot. It's a hard thing for us to be in the center of God's will all the time, and that's why God has given us so much grace. The one thing of many that I love about Paul's letters is that they have such an urgency to them. They have an urgency that we have lost, I think. Maybe if we started to live as if we are living in a time that God has set apart for him to make him known and not ourselves, then maybe we wouldn't be so afraid to tell our co-workers about Jesus. Maybe we wouldn't be scared to pray for that person on the street or the stranger in the coffee shop or grocery store. Maybe we wouldn't avoid prayer and fasting. Maybe there would be more people coming to Christ around us. Paul knew that the time was short and the instruction given to him was clear. Well, one might say, yeah, well, we're here 2,000 years later, so Paul was wrong. <laughs> and that person should read the Bible, because it is very clear that we are not to act as if we have all the time in the world, and that we are not to live this life for ourselves. Every single day, we have a choice. We have a choice to live our lives for ourselves, live our lives people-pleasing, 
or die to ourselves and live for Christ. And he has given us the supreme example of what sacrificial love is like. And we are supposed to follow that as Christ followers, right? So, yeah, there's this, there's this urgency to Paul's messages and that I love. It really inspires me. Every time I would finish studying um, one of his letters, I would just feel so inspired to just go, to just, just be like fully submitted to, to Jesus. and to just, It just really ignites this, this spark in me, which is why I think it's so precious and, and vital in, in the Bible. So this urgency that Paul had, where did he get it from? Paul looked to Jesus as his example. And if we look at the parable of the ten virgins, for example, in Matthew 24 or 25, that is portraying the kingdom of God. A lot of parables that Jesus said is portraying the kingdom of God. And the five out of ten came back to a shut door because they did not know the day or hour, and they were not wise with the time they were given. And this challenges me. This, this strikes an urgency within me when I read the Word of God. I know I grew up in a church that, that did not teach a lot of the truth. It wasn't Chalmers. <laughs> like you said, I wasn't, wasn't born here. But, um, and so as I was just so blessed to be able to study God's Word this last nine months... I was so, so surprised at the words of Jesus. And actually, the more... I actually had a lot harder time studying the New Testament than I did the Old Testament, which was surprising to me because I never wanted to touch the Old Testament because it freaked me out. And I was like, this isn't Jesus. And and as I was... I was able to study the Old Testament with new eyes because I didn't really know much about it. Maybe like Bible... like Sunday school stories... So it's fascinating what happened in my life when I, when I met Jesus through the Old Testament. So as I went to the New Testament, I had to face all these false mindsets and these, and these things that I have learned and that have kind of been embedded in my mind from growing up. And, and so it was head on every book. It's like, ah. So I was surprised at what Jesus said. I, I thought to myself many times, this isn't, this isn't like... I thought that Jesus was a lot more softer. Like, he wouldn't say something that would offend people. <laughs> I was like, woo! <laughs> so, this isn't something that should offend us. This, this, this sense of urgency, it should, should make us excited to be followers of Christ. Fearless to not focus on people-pleasing, but focusing on pleasing God. So I want to challenge us. I'm challenged. <laughs> by these verses, to be more watchful in prayer and thanksgiving with the time that is given to us. Let's be on guard in the center of God's will every day, because I want to be wise with the time, and I want to be ready when the bridegroom comes. Let's change our perspective, that it's not all about us, it's all about Him. It's not where we stand in this life, but it's about where Jesus is always sitting at the right hand of God. And our goal should be to behold Jesus in our life, to behold His beauty every single day, to be in the center of God's will in all that we do. 
And that's what brings introversion, the, the fruit that he is, he's called us to do. It's not through our works, it's through him. And so I just want to challenge us to just, to just seek him like wholeheartedly and make that choice. To make that choice to, yeah, to die to ourselves. So it's amazing what God will do in your life when you make that choice to follow him. When you die to yourself, like we talked about. I want to, since I have time, I think, <laughs> I want to just tell a little testimony. Since some of you may not know me, it's quite a big deal that I stand on this side of the pulpit. <laughs> Actually, so it's a testimony of God's faithfulness and redemption. Growing up, I would always have this dream. And I would dream of myself actually being a missionary, and I would dream of myself speaking to people. So when I would go through tough times with my family, I grew up in a broken family, um, and so when I would go through those tough times with them, I would just think, God's going to use this. God's going to use this one day, and I'm going to speak to others. And, and then as I grew up, I would struggle with addiction um, in my teenage years, and I just thought, even though I was addicted to these things, I knew that God would, would bring me out of it. And I just thought, God's going to use this. I'm going to help someone with this one day. And I'm going to talk to people about this one day, and, and it's going to inspire people, and it's going to bring people closer to God. And so, yeah, I always knew that God would bring me out, but I guess I just didn't understand at that time that I had to make that conscious choice to, to die to myself, to give it up and turn to him to look at Jesus and so here I am after making that choice to turn to him to repent and to trust him and back then I suppose I made it about where I would stand and how I would be noticed and maybe how my problems would be pitied maybe that was some of the the rooted things out of these dreams but now I understand that it would never be about where I stand but it's where he is and it's amazing in the, in the matter of less than three years what God has done in my life through me turning to Him and dying to myself. And it's a struggle every day, but it's a choice every day that we have to make. Making the best use of the time that we're given. So if there's one thing that I want us to leave with today, it's just to be inspired to just look at Jesus to just behold Him, to turn to Him, to repent, and just change our ways and just run to Him. And I say this as an encouragement, because God is merciful and He's forgiving, and it's amazing to see what He's done in my life, even though I betrayed Him. Uh, yeah, His grace is immeasurable. So I hope that, that today, as we learn together, that you, that you saw Jesus, that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. I want us to make that choice together to look to Jesus. Not in the mirror, not at others, but to Jesus. So let's, let's look to him in prayer. I want to pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. God, I thank you for each and every one of the lives in this room. Each and every one of your children here that have experienced you. That have died to themselves, Father that chose you over themselves. God, I pray that you would remind us each and every day that it's a daily choice of, of taking up our cross and following you. Jesus, I pray that you would be the first thing on our minds, 
that we would fervently love others, that we would fervently just chase after you and, and seek your face. God, I pray that our one desire would be to behold your beauty and to behold your will, be in the center of your will, God. I thank you for the instructions that you give us in your word. And I pray that we would take it more seriously, that we would approach it with fear and trembling. We wouldn't just read it, but we would listen to it, Father, and we would act upon it. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for where you're sitting right now in heaven. And, Father, I pray that that would be our one desire, is to just behold your beauty. Jesus, we love you. We're here for you. And I pray that you would bless Chalmers. You would speak new things to them, Father, that Holy Spirit, you would reveal more of who you are, Jesus, because it's endless. In your holy name, Jesus, amen. I was talking with Chelsea uh, a few days ago, and we were talking about how in our culture today, sometimes we can get weirded out when people talk about, about the passion and the urgency and the fervency that we have about Jesus. And, and there's kind of this, this response of, oh, hold on a second, everything in moderation, right? Like, don't get too excited about God. You know, we, we should have kind of this like, well, we like Jesus, but mentality. And yet when you look at Scripture, as Chelsea has shared with us today, that's not the message at all. That's not the message at all. The love of God in Jesus Christ needs to be more than simply just a shrug. Yeah, I guess I like Jesus. If that's your response today, you probably don't understand God's love for you. I want to encourage you to go back and to, to look at the sacrifice and the love of God that's expressed in Jesus Christ. It makes us want to live for him, to do whatever it takes to follow him. If this isn't where you are, if you're kind of still in that meh part, I want to just invite you to pray and ask God to reveal himself to you in such a personal way that you can't shrug at him anymore. Amen.